Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. What's up, everybody out there in listener land? This is episode 81 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back. We penciled in some time this morning. So without further ado, I want to welcome my co-host, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, steve Thanks for the invite and for the welcome, Tucker. Sorry I had to move our appointment last week. A last-minute, really good listing appointment came up, and they needed it to be at the uh, allotted time that we had initially selected. So... I appreciate your flexibility and moving it to this week. I did get the listing, so um, all is well there, and I feel good about what what we did. But yeah, great to be back on the show. I was really, really happy with our last show. For any who did not listen to it, it was with Kurt Von Muth, the CEO of RMLS, and he was so gracious. I I really appreciate it. And by the way, he's an avid fan of our show, so I'm sure he will be listening to this. He was probably my favorite guest, I think, that we've had. He was just an all-around good dude. We just threw him a little something, and he run with it and turn it into something really good, you know? So he, he was a really quality guest. How many other guests have we had, Tucker, that had a microphone like us? I think he's the only one. Isn't he the only one? Yeah, it's very likely yeah. he was the only one, but he was a great guest, great guy. You know, I learned a lot in that show, so I think that was part of the reason why I really enjoyed it as well, because I, I, you know, I didn't know how the inner workings of the different RMLSs and the, you know, the little internal wars that they have for market cap and market share and all that, and maybe not wars, but they're obviously competing for it. I didn't know how all that played together, but he really clarified that for us, which was cool. Yeah, and I guess my point with the microphone comment is he's just a natural. They do a podcast over there at RMLS, and he's a natural on the mic, and he was a great guest. And I really, really appreciate it, and I reached out to him and thanked for he. They, they actually took the show and put it on the homepage. I wonder if it's still there. It is not there anymore, but it was on the homepage of RMLS for about a month. They also shared it on their Facebook page, which most agents in our area would get in their feed. So thank you, Kurt, for being such a great guest and also for broadcasting it to our wide audience. And those who have not listened to it, listen to it. It was it, we, we ran about an hour and it's everything you'd ever want to know about RMLS. And I agree. It was one of my favorite shows. It's probably right up there with the Zillow one where we got some head honchos over at Zillow onto the show. 
So I guess we're going to cover a few things this week. We've got market action report that came out, general market trends. We've got an interesting article that uh, exposes some of the ugly underbelly of real estate investing that we can kind of touch on that made the rounds through the real estate circuits this past week. And then, of course, you know, just what's going on with uh, both of us. So I don't know. Why don't you kick it off wherever you want to start with that? Yeah. So we've got a lot to talk about with ourselves. You know, a lot of times when we have guests and I've got a couple other guests I'm going to be working on trying to get on the show and I'll, I'll mention one of them today. Um, a lot of times when we have guests, we don't really go into what's going on in our world. So I th- it feels like it's been a, a couple months since we did that. So I've got a few things to share, and we'll take a little bit of time on this. So, you know, it's been kind of a rough start to the year personally in my business, not because it's kind of interesting. I mean, and the silver lining is it's not because somehow we're not competing well or our clients don't like us. Or we're not getting referrals. It's just the way I would, I would explain it or liken it is a few balls have bounced the wrong way, you know? So uh, basically shit happens sometimes and sometimes some weird us, stuff. Yeah. Weird terminations for weird reasons and, you know, offers that weren't accepted, even though you felt like they were going to be in a multiple offer situation on, on some stuff. And so it's just, it's my numbers are down for sure for the year, but here's the good news. We're quickly making up ground. Quickly, quickly, quickly. We are incredibly busy with listings. We're Here we are. It's early April. We are in peak season and I absolutely feel it. I mean, we're as a team onboarding, gosh, feels like about four listings on average a week. I've got about, I want to say I've got 20-ish out there right now, whether they're, you know, active or in escrow that are current listings and, and more added this week. So, and they are starting to close and, and, and things are starting to pop. Feels really, really good. Spring break was last week and I did not feel the normal slowdown of spring break. Now others did, and, and don't get me wrong, spring break usually is a lull. And usually I feel it, but for whatever reason, last week I had three or four listing appointments and I was in back-to-back meetings and I was just running around like a chicken with my head cut off, which is not unusual for me other than the fact that it was spring break. So feeling really, really good there. One thing I am doing right now that is kind of new for me in my business, and I'm going to chat about this for a little while, is I am starting to make a push for the first time really ever as a conscientious attempt and effort into the high-end luxury market. I've gone on my sixth year in real estate. Obviously, numbers have been good. I mean, I've my volume at the end of the year has been has always. Hey, why don't we solid. clarify real quick? Sixth year as a realtor, but as a realtor, we're, yeah, we're yeah. kind of old school vets overall. In yes, the, yes, the yes, yes. Thing, Six yeah. years as a licensed realtor. In fact. Right now is my anniversary. In April of 2012, I got licensed as a realtor. Prior to that, obviously, I've been in the mortgage industry for about eight years or so. And in those six years, it's been a good six-year run. I've built a, a solid team. You know, we're we're in the top, we're in shouting distance of the top 10 agents in Portland, somewhere right in there as far as volume, total volume. But that said, I haven't focused on the luxury market. Now, I've in, inadvertently done quite a few deals high-end deals. Last year, we counted, we did six transactions over a million. Most of those were buy side. Five of them were buy side. We had one listing that was 1.8 million. And I think a lot of the buy side comes from my Zillow exposure. I've got great Zillow exposure in 97219, both Lake Oswego zip codes, Westland, and even some of the other zip codes that have some higher end listings, Wilsonville, et cetera. 
here's where I got inspired. And I'm going to give credit to somebody who I, I want to have as a guest on our show. And I will work on this. And we've been, her and I have been talking. Joelle Lewis joined our company. Do you know Joelle Tucker or know? I've seen her? the name and the uh, glamour shot, I think. Yeah. yeah. Kidding. I'm kidding. She, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was with M Realty prior. And she joined our company in November, and her and I have really hit it off as, as fast friends. She's in the Lake Oswego office just down the hall. She's a regular fixture in our office, and we are so blessed and fortunate to have her. Her average price point, by the way, is about eight 900000 She does about $20 million a year, and she's a one-woman show with recently added a, a, a team member. And she's able to be a one-woman show with that kind of volume because she does so much in the high-end market. We asked her as a company to do a presentation for our Lake Oswego office here just two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, and it was tips to break into the high-end luxury market, right? And she did a, a phenomenal presentation that I want her to redo on this podcast in the coming weeks. Or what, uh, just out of curiosity, I mean, <laughs> what was like the biggest like tip takeaway with like a teaser tip, right? What's yeah, I'm going to give you some. Okay. I, I'm right. going to actually give you a few of them. So the interesting thing, her background is she, she, in 2012, prior to 2012, she had not done anything high end. She had actually been a new home construction specialist. And obviously she felt some pains there during the downturn. So in 11 or 12, and this is tip number one and probably the biggest tip, she became exposed to, through a friend, she got an opportunity for a house on the lake, and I think possibly two houses together that were owned by the same person right there on Lakeview Boulevard. In fact, she listed them for several years. Those who are pretty familiar with that market probably remember them. They're beautiful houses, but they're a little too close to each other, kind of uncomfortably close. And the reason for that was because they were owned by the same people and they had one and then they built the others for like as an in-law or family member situation. And then I think, and I want to say he was an executive at Intel, and then he got relocated or something, so he needed to put him on the market. She was, and she can say this better when she's on the show, she she knows the exact story, but she had an in with them, so she got the listings, and she just leveraged the heck out of it. So her big takeaway there was, and this happens to a lot of agents, and it's happened to me, and I'm guilty of not running with it and leveraging it to the hilt. Meaning, you know, last year I had listing, 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 all of a sudden, hey, $1.8 million listing opportunity kind of made the mistake personally of treating it like all the other listings. Oh, yeah, let's do an open house. Hey, Lilia, you go do that one or, you know, just delegating it to a team member, doing good market, obviously doing great marketing on it like we do for our other listings and doing some postcards around it, but not going all out and kind of treating it as your big break. The other big thing that she really promoted is hosting high-end open houses and convincing your seller to let you have these open houses. And believe it or not, so as she was giving this presentation, I again had another opportunity. I have a new listing. It's about $1.5 million on Westview Court in Lake Oswego, just south of the lake off Royce Way, I think it is, or Royce Lane, one of the two. So – because of what she said, I went to the open house. We did two back-to-back -back open houses on the opening weekend. I got another listing off of that. And once you have those listings, because obviously, as you probably know, Tucker, those high-end clients, they want to know that you've done those before, and they want to see what you're doing and what, what you've done. So having one that you've done a great job for, you can show that marketing to the next person, gets you other opportunities, 
And I'll give you a couple other things she said. I mean, Luxury Home Magazine, my plan is in the coming issues. I don't know if I'll make this next issue, even though I'm going to have something in it. I'm going to have a running couple page spread in the Luxury Home Magazine. I think that's a, a, if you want to be in that market, you kind of have to have a presence in that magazine. We've had a meal on the show and we know that they mail that to every high-end home in the area, every issue. It's on every coffee table around Lake Oswego, West Hills, you know, whatever, or at least, you know, most of them. I I know that I, I peruse it each month. Uh, I call it the who's famous this month, you know, and I, yeah. (laughs) And it's not to say that that ad alone is going to get you in there, but it gets your foot in the door. I think, I think those high end sellers want to know that you deal in the high end market. And that's kind of their one little piece that gives them that snapshot into who's in that market. So professional on all levels. I'll kind of rattle off a few of the things. I took notes on her presentation. Professional on all levels. You have to be the experts. You have to be the expert. Um, host high-end open houses. When she was talking about you have to be the expert, she said being watching what's going on, paying attention to what's coming on the market, how what they're priced at. When you get one, take advantage. I talked about there that realtors are your sphere. Talked about just being having great relationships with your realtor spheres. Study high-end agents, develop your brand. Great presentation. Really opened my eyes to to the opportunity there that I need. And I'm not kicking myself that I didn't do it before. There's been a lot of things on my focus for the last six years, including you know some opportunities with a brokerage that I had to focus on. But I feel like now is my time to really make a good push into that. Part of it, too, is I've had some frustrations in the last 12 months where – when I go into a listing, you know, say it's a six, seven hundred thousand dollar listing, I kind of bring it in a big way when, when it comes to marketing. I mean, between the videos, 3D photos, twilights, you know, a lot of these postcards, a lot of times I'll have a two, three thousand dollar bill on that listing. And in the last 12 months, as as I've been monitoring my profitability, I've kind of been kicking myself and going, okay, maybe I need to tone down my marketing there. My big aha moment was when I realized, hey, maybe I don't need to tone down my marketing. Maybe I just need to push it and force it onto the listings that justify that versus, you know, pulling back on marketing, which does not sound fun to me, by the way. I like marketing and I want to do, I want, I always want to put my best foot forward there. So no, I think that's a good thing to think about. Cause I mean, certain, as you go up in price point, obviously the higher price points can absorb the more quality marketing machine that comes with you know, the agent that represents the property, right? I mean, it just doesn't make a whole lot of, I mean, you could do it, but the 399 house doing the Mac daddy marketing package, it gets you the listing, but does it really need to happen? I, you know, you, you got to yeah. look at that and make a decision for yourself, but it definitely is much more absorbable in terms of cost when you're talking about the 900, 1.5, 1.8, $2 million home. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyways, moving on from there, a couple other interesting things I've got going on personally. I do have a $3 million home in escrow. It was a foreclosure in Wilsonville, um, right off Advance Road. Came on the market, you know, it was on the market with another agent for $6 million last year. It's 65 acres. It's a 10,000 square foot house with some outbuildings. It's a little run down, but man, that's a lot of land. 
and wow. in a pretty close in in Wilsonville. You know where the little jump is in Wilsonville? You know what oh, I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah, yep. that little dip where you actually feel G-forces when you go on it. Yeah, in I fact, did a lot of stupid stuff in high school with that dip, so yeah. There's been some bad accidents there, by the way. There's been yeah. some fatality accidents to. Yeah, because I of that. I remember a really bad one about 12 years ago, but it is a fun road. I, I, I'm not going to lie. When Every time I've been going to this listing, I, I usually will floor it in my M5 and, and hit about 90 miles an hour and, and feel those G-forces as you're coming out of that. But I'm sure the neighbors love you for that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I have a buyer on that. We're in contract. It's a cash deal closing end of this month. So that is going to be the highest sale I'll have done a, been a part of, $3 million. Excited about that. And then beyond that, like I said, we're just crazy busy with listings. And I have in the last month, and I'll give Joel some credit for this. Some of it was already coming at me, but I have four listings over a million dollars that are in the hopper coming online. One is online and three more will be online within the next month or so. Also, part of the reason why I feel like this is a good time, now you've got some good listings to leverage and really push and make a good presence in that market and try to drum up some more. So, You know what I would add to it, though, is because as a builder, you kind of climb the same hierarchy, right? Like you start in the lower end and then you work your way up as you start to build your skill sets and your recognition of value, right, as you kind of go up. I mean, you know, now we diversify, but I mean, our best projects and where our wheelhouse is, is that, you know, one and a half to $3 million home in Lake Oswego, right? That's our thing. And, you know, it reminded me because I had the, our most recent one that we had done, uh, had a praise and it's probably a $2.5 million home is what it would sell for in the open market. And uh, I had an appraiser come out and appraise it just for a uh, line of credit stuff for a bank. And it was a gal that was like 24 years old, she had no idea what she was looking at. She, you know, and then I looked at the report and it was like, it was just horrible. And it wasn't horrible because she's a bad appraiser. It was just horrible because she was not ready to take on a property like that. And that applies throughout, whether it's the appraiser, whether it's the realtor, whether it's the builder, like it takes time in these higher end houses and following the higher end market, very specifically touring a lot of those properties that are on the market and what they sell for to really understand what it is people pay for, right? And that's what we've gotten really good at in terms of building those higher-end houses is we recognize exactly what that higher-end buyer wants, and that's what we build. And there's builders in town that play in that price point, and I'll be honest, they missed the mark big time in terms of what the product they provide. The market has carried a lot of them to this point, but they will get bit eventually, you know, as they continue to play in that price point if they don't adjust the product that they're putting out. But it's really about recognizing what it is that buyers pay for, recognizing the fact that if you're going into a house that, you know, the people think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it, it's got a 90s kitchen in it, you know, and it's got faux painting on the wall and stuff. You got to have the huevos to tell them that this is not a turnkey high end house. This is a yeah. nice piece of property with a dated larger house on it, you know, and uh, sometimes people don't want to hear that. And so it's, you know, maneuvering into that higher end market. I think it just, it takes a lot of confidence and that confidence comes from time in the seat. Recognizing it does. It does. It Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and remember I said I, in the last, right now I've got four people that have committed to use me, several of them in contract and two with contracts out over a million dollars in Lake, all in Lake Oswego incidentally. And make no mistake, confidence is huge in that process because once you get one listing and you not kind of knock it out of the park with your marketing and you're able to show them, hey, these people, you know, this is what I just did across town on a $1.5 million house. 
that really changes the landscape. And then you now you've got two under your belt, and that just that momentum really builds upon itself. So it does feel good. Do you tour a lot of those high end houses? Is that how you get familiar with what? I, I look at all the plans. So like you know, in Lake Oswego, you can look up anybody's plans online. It's a newer built home from like X number of years back. They just keep the plans, and so we'll look at other stuff that's sold that's been built within the last, let's call it eight years. And then we look at the plans online and we go, well, they really missed the mark on this. It's still sold. Like we know a lot of people that, you know, because I live in the upper drive Douglas circle area, I know a lot of people there that have bought new construction that's in the 1.5 ish million dollar range. And, you know, I know what all their gripes are. I know the architect that builds a lot of those, or, you know, designs a lot of those houses. And for whatever reason, they'd between them and the builder, they don't uh, decide to make the tweaks necessary to satisfy the what the buyers are really looking for. But yeah, I tour as many as I can, but I look at a lot of plans. I keep a real close watch on what moves at what price, Yeah, you know, where you can get more price, even if the house is dated based on the location, you know, and obviously inventory levels as well. You know, most recently, we've got two houses that uh, one's going to be listed uh, end of this week. And then um, the other one, we're actually uh, starting to pour foundation. It's a t- the two lot partition deal that we had on upper drive. And, you know, we could have built three houses there. Right. And so most builders would have looked at that and said, well, we could let's build three houses. Well, there's another builder that tried that down the street and they're having a hard time selling them. And so we elected to sell two nicer homes as opposed to three slightly lesser expensive homes because it's a better product. It's what that buyer in that area wants at those price points. And so it's just about recognizing that. And then on the agent side, it's recognizing the deficiencies that a home has and the pluses, right? And being able to be honest about that with, you know, the sellers, because a lot of people think that, you know, high end people, you know, they're uppity and whatever, and they just want a yes man. But the reality is, is they want somebody to have the confidence to tell them what they need to hear, obviously in a nice way, but you got to be able to recognize those things and tell it to them. And I think that's what creates the confidence in you as an agent or whatever that then they ultimately hire you for. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we've had Justin Harnish on the show. He does so well. And Terry does so well, you know, in the higher end markets, because they've seen so many houses, they've sold so many, they know what people want and they know Mm -hmm. where the pluses and the minuses are and they can convey it really easily. And then that feeds on itself and one becomes two and two becomes four. And before you know it, you got a bunch of high end listings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So last thing I'll say really, Real quick, we've we've got a lot of contingent offers going right now. Clients that were selling their house and we've written a contingent offer on another house and vice versa, ones where we're selling their house and somebody writes a contingent offer on ours. I'm just seeing a lot more of those in the market. I uh, will talk a little bit about the market. I don't I I think that's just a little change in the market showing that the market is healthy, but it's not as hot as it was even a year or two ago. So we'll we'll get in that when we talk about the market itself. Let's talk about PPG as a brokerage. A couple things we've got going on. So we've been kind of working on sales meetings. We do a monthly sales meeting where we invite everybody in the company and we typically will get about 200, 250, sometimes even more, depending on the agenda and what, what we have going on. We've been doing it, you know, we started at a, at a really nice room on Meadows Road, the 5300 building. It only seated about 120. We outgrew it about a year or two ago, and we started doing it at the HBA. And HBA is okay. I don't mind the HBA. Parking stinks there. But we're starting to outgrow it. We've dabbled about what we're going to do. We like having it in Lake Oswego. Our agents like having it in Lake Oswego. Most of them. Obviously, some preferred other other places. But we're struggling to see where we can do it in Lake Oswego and have a venue that big with good parking that's you know that works with the numbers and everything. 
We actually dabbled with going to Lloyd, or not Lloyd, Convention Center, down in the uh, Convention Center. We did it two months in a row. It definitely has the space. You know, people have to pay for parking, which they kind of grumble about. And and then they're kind of fighting traffic on the way home. So we're probably not going seriously in that direction. But we're back. Our sales meeting is again tomorrow. And one thing we're doing is we're live streaming it on video. We have a uh, YouTube channel called PPG TV, where we are actually a lot of our trainings we're taking and videoing and putting it there, making it available through our broker toolkit, which is really cool, especially when you have agents in Bend and Salem and and beyond. So it allows any of our agents to watch our sales meeting or any other of our dozens and dozens of training events. Many that I that's a good idea, by the way. Kudos to you guys for doing that. That's uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We're we're pretty happy with it. It's been well received by our agents. They can watch any of the training wherever, whenever. Tomorrow at our sales meeting, there's a little CE training that I'm a part of. I'm actually co-teaching it with Jeff Wyron, our managing reviewing broker. And I was going to share a couple nuggets about it. It's about how to get listings and then properly service them so that your seller is happy. And keep in mind that doesn't always mean that you get multiple offers on your first weekend. So there's also some strategies in here about how to make sure your seller's happy, even if it's staying on the market for a little while. A couple nuggets I'll share that are a part of this. And and our sales meetings are open to everybody from any company, as well as all of our CE trainings. Obviously, assessing what their needs are up front. Uh, I always like to say, figure out what their itch is they need to scratch before you start to sell them on what you can do. One thing that I've really focused on in the last year, year and a half is that I'm a big believer that listings are won and lost by activities before the listing appointment. And by that, I mean, you know, I think it's a mistake for a listing agent to get a call from a seller who says, hey, I found you or I was referred to you or especially if it feels competitive. And a lot of times it is. Sometimes it's not. And if that's the case, so be it. But if it feels competitive, they say, hey, I want you to come out to my house. You know, can you do Saturday at two o'clock? I think it's a big mistake to just spend five minutes on the phone, book the appointment and then go to the appointment. I think there's tremendous value. And my experience has proven that if I stay on the phone, dive into a little bit about their situation tell them a little bit about my experience in their area, what we do that is special and creates, you know, value for our listings that helps them sell quickly for top dollar. My likelihood of getting that listing goes up exponentially because now I'm not hitting the ground at zero when I meet with them. Beyond that, and, and a big thing we train is also send them some immediate examples digitally as soon as you're off the phone. And we have a system that we we share with our agents where they can see some of the videos you're able to do, some of the 3D technology you're able to roll out. And then, of course, we have a beautiful seller welcome package that can get rushed there the next day for all of our agents. And that also really solidifies kind of the way I would explain it is process selling. Instead of viewing selling and getting a listing as one event, view it as a series of events done, executed perfectly culminating, of course, with the listing appointment where you do go there. And obviously you got to do things right then and there. But a big thing that we'll be talking about tomorrow, a couple other things I'll say when you are on the market, one of the things my team has started to do, and I've been sharing this with our agents and we'll be talking about tomorrow in our event. And this is kind of cool, Tucker. I've been getting really good feedback from this. I love it. It's, It's a huge thing that we've started to do. 
When we have a new listing and we're taking it live, we will go into RMLS prospect profiles and we will set up a search. Usually it's somewhere, you know, it's like three quarters of a mile around the listing, give or take. Sometimes it's half mile, sometimes it's a mile, whatever makes sense for that listing. And we are basically setting up similar style or sized homes and we're setting them up on a prospect profile so that any new status changes, any new active, any new pending, and even any new bumpable and any new sold that occurs automatically emails to the agent and blind copies you. And we tell the client that we're doing this. And the reason this works so, so well, first of all, I think a lot of agents, myself included, up until about a year and a half ago when we started doing this on my team, a lot of agents get really familiar with the comps up until the day of the listing. And then they don't know what they are anymore. Or maybe they check it once in a while. But this keeps you and the seller in the know in real time with everything that is happening around that listing. One of the agents that I I was talking to about this recently with our company said, yeah, it always stinks when the seller calls you up and goes, hey, the house down the street's for sale. And you don't know that. They are informing you of new activity in their area. So this is a way to have proactive communication automated to your seller that helps to pacify them. And it does one of two things. It's either going to tell them that nothing else is selling around them, which takes pressure off you, or if stuff is selling, they can actively be looking at it, checking out the pictures, seeing what's going pending, seeing the price of it. And oftentimes it'll kind of proactively help you get price reductions because it's showing them what is going on and, and what they need to do to experience success like other listings around them. I Part of the training tomorrow, a big thing I say in this regards is ignorance in this area. You know, there are there are times where ignorance is bliss, but in this area, ignorance is not bliss. If you have a listing and it's sitting on the market, you know, week one, week two, week three, if the seller doesn't know what's going on around them or or what activities you're doing, Ignorance is not bliss. They will start to get squirrely on you and start to get agitated. The other big thing that I really promote and do on my team is we do a weekly marketing activity report automated. I mean, we put it together, but it's just automatic. It's not something they have to ask for. Once a week, they're getting an email with a PDF attached, very visually appealing. It says, here is the feedback from all the showings this week. Here's all the activities we've done to market your property this week. This is view, here's view counts from RMLS, Zillow. It has open house summary, reverse prospecting updating. Really, really cool. I'm a huge believer in proactive communication. When, when a listing is not selling, if you make them ask you what's going on, why isn't it selling? What are you doing? You're already behind the eight ball. It should be proactive on an ongoing basis. You're able to tell them this is what we did this week. This is what's going on. This is what the feedback is. By the way, here's also the, the homes around you that are going pending or, or coming on the market, et cetera, et cetera. New competition. So big presentation on that tomorrow and excited for that. And we've had some pretty good feedback on it as well. A couple last things I'll touch on, Tucker, and then we'll let you run here. Marketing committee, PPG. I'm, I'm setting up a marketing committee where we'll meet probably on a monthly basis with about 16 of our agents, 10 to 16 of our agents. I think we've got about 14 now. We'll probably add a few more. 
and uh, we'll just run by them all the ideas. I'm kind of the chair of that committee. Here's what we're thinking of doing. Get their feedback. Get their requests. Get their honeydew requests and items. And so I think that's going to be – we've done some amazing things with marketing, but I think that's just going to really help us hone in on what our agents want and need and and even take it to a whole nother level. I'm in the mid stages, mid to late stages of rolling out agent websites where any of our thousand agents can have their own website that is very similar to our corporate website, but branded to them and with information customized to them. We're kind of basically coming up with a few templates and then they, they pick the template they want and then we customize it beyond that in any manner they want so that it is personalized to them. It, they will work with Boomtown. So the search will be Boomtown. The CRM that will be affiliated with will be Boomtown. So that's pretty exciting because we're big believers in Boomtown and a lot of our agents use it. And then the last thing I'll say is we have been meeting with Cloud CMA. A lot of agents know of Cloud CMA. Have you ever heard of Cloud CMA, Tucker? I have not. Okay. It's a uh, company that works with RMLS. If you're doing a CMA in, in RMLS, you actually, as you pull your comps, there, you can click on Cloud CMA and it will push them into Cloud CMA. And it's just a easier to use, better looking user interface. And we all love RMLS, but you know some of the gripes are that you know it's a little bit 90s-ish and, and kind of a little dated in the in the look and feel of it. And that is true of the comps. As you're sharing comps with your seller, that is kind of true with RMLS there as well. Cloud CMA allows you to take those comps and put them into a better looking user interface. So PPG is looking to partner with Cloud CMA on a brokerage level, offer that service to our agents at a discounted cost, about probably half of what they'd be able to get it on their own. In addition to that, we'll set up some branding that they can use that will look really good through that. So there you Very go. Cool. I had a lot Very to talk cool. about. I warned you up front, Tucker. Now what do you got? <laughs> well, since you brought up a uh, real estate uh, software, are you familiar with Dotloop? Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it's owned by Zillow. Yeah. So the founder of Dotloop was actually on my national show last week. He has a new startup for blockchain and real estate uh, transactions. And so I had him on my show. Really cool guy. Is he still affiliated with Dotloop or did he sell and move on? No, he got uh, cashed out, moved on. And yeah. uh, invested okay. a yep. uh, ton of money in Bitcoin before it blew up and before it blew up downward. And now he's taken his winnings and he's uh, starting a, a blockchain technology company for real estate transactions, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, yeah. No, Zillow is really big on Dotloop. They really promote it. I've not personally used it, but I know agents that have and they, some say really good things about it. I haven't, but I figured you might, and uh, you know, it'd probably be a little more relevant software for you since you're an agent than myself. But uh, anyway, cool guy. But beyond that, you know, I think that the market's definitely hot, like you mentioned, but not maybe smoldering hot like it was a year ago or two years ago. It's a little bit cooler, but overall, I think it's pretty hot still. We've got a couple new construction projects that are coming out of the ground, like I mentioned, on Upper Drive. We've made a lot of headway with our uh, acre, just about an acre, eh, about three quarters of an acre view lot that overlooks all of Lake Oswego. We're finally moving ahead with the city and uh, railroad with putting in a new storm system. So we'll be coming out of the ground with that this summer. It looks like we've got a property that we just put on the market in uh, Multnomah Village that uh, looks like it's going to go really quick, which I figured it would. And got a bunch of other projects kind of scattered around town. Oh, we're doing a, a land division deal in uh, Dunthorpe. Uh, we decided we're going to uh, split a piece of property we have there, and we've got two houses that we're going to build. So we got a lot of stuff going on on the real estate side. You know, we're kind of, you know, the market seems hot. Uh, it's not like super en fuego, like maybe it was a year ago or more. But, you know, inventory levels are super low. We're definitely feeling 
there's a lot of activity. I think the right house in the right area is going, still going for a lot of money, but you know, maybe the stuff that isn't quite the right house and not quite the right area might take a little bit more time. But overall, I think that the market's still about as good as we could hope for. Obviously, we don't want it super in fuego forever because then the the downside to that is always, you know, equally bad on the on the reverse. So, you know, I think overall it's good. We've had, you know, one of the big things that we've been doing lately too is we have a technology arm to the company, and we have our, our it's called a driving for dollars app. So if you have, you know, an iPhone or Android phone, whether you use the iTunes Store, or Google Play. If you search driving for dollars app, we've rolled this thing out nationally and now we have an unlimited data package, which is really cool. It's it's been a lot of work working with our, uh, you know, app developer to make it happen. But basically it's meant for real estate investors, agents, and everybody in between. But essentially you can drive any area. So let's say if you were an agent, right, you had a listing or if you're, um, you know, an investor or builder and you're, you're just kind of scouring for stuff that you're interested in buying. You can basically drive around, you know, open the app up on your phone, basically tap the surrounding properties because it gives you an overhead view of where you're at. And you can compile a list as quickly and as big as you want doing that. And then the app automatically pulls uh, all the owner information for you in terms of, you know, who owns it? Is it owner occupied or not? If it's not owner occupied, what's their mailing address? Pulls all of the last sale information, pulls all their mortgage information, and then it actually pulls their phone number as well. And That's it merges awesome. all that for you. And so, for us, we use all that data to then do a bunch of marketing to uh, these custom lists that we've created, but we just were able to roll it out with an unlimited data package for everybody for a, a, just a smoking deal every month. So it, that's been a lot of work, but you know, our, our little app is finally growing up. So we're, we're happy to see that and been a, a big milestone for us. So it's been taken off like wildfire too. We got users all over the country and I know there's a lot of people locally that use it as well. So super excited about that. That's really cool. You think it's ever going to be possible to find figure out an email address based on? Stuff oh yeah, like we that? could do that too. So it just would up the cost. So we're it's an addition that we're going to put into it as well. So it'll pull through the API, but that'll be the next addition is it'll pull owner's email address too. So you can then drip market them via email or try wow. and contact them that yeah. way as well. So we basically are trying to get all the contact points for people that own property that whether you're interested in listing or interested in buying, and then you can run your marketing machine with that data to instantly just go market the hell out of it. So yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Cool. And that's how we, ultimately how we run my business here. And that's how we generate properties to buy and, and develop or buy and renovate. You know, that's the basis of how we all we do it. And so we build a, a software and an app that helps us do it more efficiently. And now everybody else can use it as well. But beyond that, we got a lot going on. I'm actually going up uh, end of this month. There's a, a big real estate investing conference in Seattle that I'm going to be giving a, a keynote speech at. So uh, there's going to be about six or 700 people, I think, that I'm going to be speaking in front of. So fortunately, I have a lot of practice on the podcast here. So, you know, that'll uh, help. But really excited about that. I'll be up there for three days. And it's kind of a who's who of the real estate investing world. So that should be a lot of fun. But other than that, man, we're just cranking along. And, you know, we I, I finished my move personally into my new house, which I, I must say I'm very happy to be done with that process. I did it pre-kids last time. And I've moved a lot in the last 15 years. But moving without kids, moving with kids, two entirely different experiences, <laughs> especially if they're little kids. And, you know, I'm just glad to be done. Do with you it. have them there that day or do you go take them to grandma's house and just move without them? Grandma took them for the the big truck day. But, you know, there's all the days surrounding yeah, the big truck day true. that, uh, you know, you've got to deal with them. And so it was it's not uh, just one day. You're right. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot leading up to it. And then after and moving process. all your utilities, it's a huge process. It's 
And the other thing I realized is that the crap multiplier is significantly larger after you have kids versus before. So it's yeah. easy to purge and get rid of stuff before you have kids. But then once you have them, it's like the amount of crap that you have just multiplies uh, exponentially. And then you've got to either move that crap or get rid of it or figure out what goes in storage. And so anyway, I'm done. I'm, I'm happy, though. I'm in a new place. Pool looks great. And I'm eagerly oh. anticipating the warm weather. So I'm ready uh, for your pool party, by the way. Yeah, we'll have for your pool party out. invite. Yeah, we'll have a pool party for a barbecue real estate. Invite. Oh, I'm, oh yeah, I'm as soon as it. the weather turns. So yeah, excited yeah. about that. And, you know, we're just kind of moving and grooving and doing what we do. But uh, I don't want to spend too much more time on it because we got a couple things to talk about. But before we do, what's what's your take on the market overall? I know you said that you think it's hot, maybe not in Fuego, but anything else? Uh, you know, I think it's a good market. It's a healthy market. What I would say, Tucker, is houses need a little bit of time on the market, but they sell. There, you know, of course, there's a couple. If you took 10 listings, right, just took 10, a sampling of 10 listings, here's what I would say happens. Two, go immediately. Maybe one multiple offers, maybe one without first weekend, right? Five-ish will sell in the first few, it will go pending in the first couple weeks, and then maybe two or three linger, you know, of the two or three, maybe the two will go in, you know, a month. And then there's that one that languishes, right? So I guess what I'm saying is the lion's share of properties right now, to me, feels like they need a couple weeks on the market. They just need a little bit of time. They need a little bit of exposure. They're not catching fire. You're getting offers that are close to asking price, but, you know, they're not maybe asking price or over, as in the case of multiple offers. And I don't mind this. I mean, this is not a bad thing. You know, a year or two ago, we would have been having five of the homes would have been in multiple offers. And then, you know, the other five would be some variation of, you know, the other scenarios. So that's that's really what I'm seeing. And, and the market report, the, the most recent February one supports this. Days on market was up nine days to 69 days. Yeah, it's an um, interesting dynamic because you've got, like you mentioned, days on market are up to 69 days, but inventory is down. So you, you have that low inventory, but you're right. Things are kind of marinating on the market slightly longer before they end up going pending. Yeah. And that was February. Look for March or April. As we get into peak season, inventories definitely rise quickly. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. February, people are just barely slowly starting to get back into the groove after the, the winter and the holidays and everything. It feels like the market, we had closed sales in February of this year was 8.2% over February of last year. Now, I think some of that might be weather related. Last year, we had some pretty crazy weather that probably factored in there. Increase median price is now 7.5% year over year. We've been noticing that creeping lower and lower. Mm -hmm. It wasn't long ago. It doesn't feel like that it was double digits. And then we talked about it when it started going into single digits. Well, now we're we're well into the sig- single digits. And we're nowhere in the nines or eights anymore. We're in the mid sevens. So I think that's healthy, too. And I think that kind of plays into the, the component that the market is slowly cooling slower than I thought it would. But I like it. I'm not complaining. I have no complaints. And I, I don't see anything imminently that's saying it's going to go in a different direction than that. How about you, Tucker? What do you see? I think I'm I'm on the same page as you. You know, obviously inventory drives everything for the most part. You know, interest rates factor in as well to some extent. But, you know, I think things are just taking a little bit longer, a little bit of downward pressure on the price appreciation. And so I think we're kind of 
in a softer slowdown ish, not like slow down, but just, you know, we're, we're going from sprinting to jogging, right. And then do a fast walk. So, and I think that's a, a healthy way for the market to kind of dial it back slightly. And so, you know, it feels like good product, good price still sells easy peasy, but you know, maybe some of the outlier, more difficult stuff to sell people are using their head and emotion, you know, instead of emotions, they're using their brain in terms of thinking about whether or not they really want to buy that house on a busy corner with no parking and, you know, no updates. So, you know, well, at least if the price isn't reflective of that anyway. So I I think it's a good time. I think the market's still solid and I think it's good for us selling houses and I think it's good for you guys listening. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we go, one last quick topic. There was a article that made the rounds this week. Willamette week went Dun, 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 underground and did some interviewing and, you know, basically tried to expose the ugly underbelly of what judicial foreclosures created, which for those that don't know, Oregon switched over to judicial foreclosures. Now they switched back, I believe. But, you know, there was a time period there where a lot of foreclosures were initiated under the judicial foreclosure. And with that comes a thing called redemption rights. And those redemption rights basically give the homeowner the ability to redeem and pay their mortgage current even after the property sells at auction. Now, this pretty much never happens because if they were going to pay their mortgage to begin with, they would have. And by the time they have to redeem, it's such a huge number that, you know, it's probably a 0.00001% people that ever actually redeem because for whatever reason, they run into a large sum of money and they end up doing it. But the whole point is, is those redemption rights then create a secondary market to control property and to control it quicker because you can basically buy a property at auction if you own the redemption rights, which essentially you can get from the owners via a monetary transaction, you know, signed piece of paper in exchange for some money. And uh, then that allows you to basically take ownership much quicker after you buy it at auction versus having to wait for those redemption rights to expire before you can officially own the property, which allows you to protect your ass if you're putting money into it, because obviously you don't want to do a big renovation on a property that could potentially redeem, even though most of the time they don't. But it just speeds up your your in and out process. And so Willamette Week did a uh, an expose on what that is exactly. And they found somebody that obviously felt like they got screwed by uh, one of the investment companies in town, which always makes for good publicity for the, the newspaper anyway, bad publicity for the investor. But it's really an ugly business. And there's really no pretty way to show it. So I kind of gave the rundown, but uh, what did you think? What were your takeaways of the article real quick before we cut out of here today? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, Tucker, before we were on the air, I mean, it's not something I'd heard a lot of. And the, the name of the article was that it said, you know, a look at the sketchy practices inside the hottest Portland real estate market you've never heard of. And I'm pretty in the know on what's going on in real estate. The only thing I'd ever really heard of it was from you on a different previous show where we were our guest was, I think, a, a house flipper who went to auctions, and it came up, and you mentioned how there's a whole, you know, market of this, and talked a little bit about it. But basically, yeah, these these guys. A couple takeaways I had was, first of all, it sounds like very, very rarely the intent of this was so that if somebody's house goes into foreclosure. They now have six months to redeem it and pull it back out of foreclosure. One of my big takeaways was it sounded like that almost never happens. So they've they've set up this mechanism that really isn't doing anything other than causing problems. And the problems are where somebody knocks on the door of that person, they say, hey, and it usually sounds like they structure it in two ways. I'm going to give you 300 bucks today for signing these over. 
And then if it goes into foreclosure and I buy it, I'll give you another 2200 bucks. What was crazy is in some of these situations, some of these guys were so sketchy, they would give them the 300 bucks, but then they'd buy it through an LLC. So it wasn't really them buying it. So they'd save that $2,200, which is just a, a snaky, dirty thing to do. And it's, it's cool that they called them out on that. Obviously, it's caused delays and problems for other investors who buy the houses because then they're trying to – they want to get in there and start to do their work, but they have to wait six months or pay some egregious amount to the person that owns those rights. I can't tell you how many times you know I've had people approach me that say – Hey, this one's going to auction. If you want to bid it here, I have the redemption rights, 10 grand and they're yours and you can go to work tomorrow. Right. And it's like at the end of the day, you have to find out what the the bid amount is. You got to then factor that into what it ultimately is going to get bid up to what you buy it for. And then you got to factor in what you pay for the redemption rights. But ultimately what you're paying for, just so our listeners understand is if you have the redemption rights, whether you get them directly or you buy them from somebody who goes and solicits them, you are buying speed. So you can essentially, as soon as you get the deed, because it takes a couple of weeks to get the deed from the bank generally when you buy at auction, as soon as you get that deed, you can begin work on the house. And given it's vacant and you've got people out of there. But you know, if you don't have those, then there's that six-month period where you can't sell it. You can't really do anything until the redemption rights expire or you purchase them. Do you have and carrying so, costs? I mean, you have carrying costs yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. So you're buying speed, right? You're paying for something that's going to cost you less than the cost of money that's sitting out there as your carry cost. That's essentially so the a lot of times they probably, I mean, if you've got, say you've got a $300,000 house and you say you took a hard money loan on it, or maybe it's your own cash, but there's still opportunity cost by not having that elsewhere. 10000 isn't a bad deal to save you six months of interest on a $300,000 house. Wouldn't you agree? So well, now, now you can see why there was a birth of a whole industry, right? Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's what and it created. So these guys spend 300 bucks on this and they get 10000 for it, but that's pretty good markup, pretty good return. I think there's momentum, and I think this article probably will help with it, to get this changed so that those redemption rights aren't transferable. I don't know why they need to be transferable. Do you see any good reason for it? No, there's absolutely no good reason for it, but uh, they're attached to judicial foreclosure. So as the we flip back to non-judicial foreclosures, they go away. So yeah. it, that's really the when Oregon switched over to doing judicial foreclosures, it created this for every house that goes through the judicial process. But every house that doesn't, they're non-existent. It doesn't matter. So that's basically what what spawned it. And of course, you know. It's the ugly underside of of real estate investing, which there is some of, but you know it happens all the time. And the reality is, is that you can say poor homeowner, but they're not going to redeem ninety nine point nine nine percent of yeah. the time. And most of these people got three hundred bucks or five hundred bucks that they would have got nothing anyway. Now, was it right that they should have told them they get more? No, of course not. I'm not defending that. But at the end of the day, nobody really got screwed. They just got a false promise. That's really what it comes down to. And so, uh, you know, I think that that should be said. I don't I'm not vouching for the fact that you should convey something you're not going to do by any means, because that's bad business. But at the end of the day, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people are not going to redeem. And, you know, they're just getting free money from heaven. Absolutely. If you were going to save your property from foreclosure, you would have saved your property from foreclosure. I mean, unless you win the lottery a month after it goes into foreclosure, what is a scenario where you suddenly have a windfall to save it that you didn't have before? I mean, it's it is yeah. kind of crazy to imagine why that exists. So, yeah, it was interesting. Listeners, I mean, I think if you just Googled Willamette Week and redemption rights or, you know. Uh, Willamette Week flipping out, I think, was the name of the article. Yeah, so. great read. 
And something that definitely is worth knowing as somebody in the real estate trenches. Hey, Tucker, you had one last thing about energy scores. What was going on? Oh, with yeah. That? Man, those energy scores, it's, I, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, I think it's a process that is in need of some serious refinement. You know, when we had the guy on the show, I think he said the scale was going to be one to five. As one it to ten. Out. Yeah, well, one it's to one ten. to ten. So maybe that was I misheard it. But either way, I had a uh, score come back for a house that is 79 built, one level ranch, about 1,100 square feet, double pane windows, fully insulated. The only difference is it had electric heat versus gas. And they gave me a score of a two, which basically is saying it's one away from a cardboard box with no doors and windows, right? (laughs) Which I think is a bunch of horseshit. And so, you know, obviously this house isn't a 10, but you can't tell me that this house has the same efficiency level of a 20s built house with single pane wood windows with uh, no insulation in the exterior walls. Because that's basically what you're saying. Like a one is like like a house with no doors and windows, right? And so a two is comparable to like a 20s built with no efficiency whatsoever. So the fact that you're putting this ranch in that position, the system has some problems and they need to work that out because to me, you're creating data for people to use to educate themselves. Well, if the data is that bad, we got a problem. They need, and I'm not blaming the guys that do it, but how the score is derived needs to be worked on because to give a score of a two to the house that it gave says to me that there's something seriously wrong with the way that they're computing it. When they give you the score, they give you a couple items that you could do to up the score, right? What was it on yours? I could put in a high-efficiency gas furnace, and that would up it dramatically, which, yeah, I get that ups efficiency, but you can't tell me that a 79-built ranch that's fully updated is a two. And a a small one, too. 1,100 square feet is a very small property. That plays a big role in that, too. Yeah, 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 exactly. So. That is kind of a, you know, probably a worst case example. I mean, some of these are probably more accurate, but the fact that that could happen leads me to believe that they still have some work to do in terms of how they determine those scores and, you know, how accurate they are versus what the house really has to offer in terms of efficiency. Yeah, I haven't done a ton of them yet, believe it or not. Um, They're coming. I've got a few Portland listings in the hopper. Most of my year has been listing suburban properties, Twalton, Tiger, Lake Oswego, Westland. But I've got a few coming. I've done a couple. Um, Most of mine have been really average, like fours. I think my takeaway is there aren't going to be many houses that break the five plane. Yeah. It'll be very rare. So yeah, it will be interesting to see and hopefully they, they tweak it and I get your frustration. It's comical the way you say it. Like basically if the, if the house had was cardboard and had no windows, I'd be one <laughs> score lower because yeah. there is no zero. So right. Funny, funny. So, cool. You know, I'll leave our listeners with that. I'm sure, you know, other people have had their own experiences and you know, so be it. But uh, that's been mine so far. So yeah. anyway, we've been going for a while. We'll probably put a, a bookend on this one before we go. Any uh, parting words of uh, wisdom or otherwise for our listeners? Get out there. It's peak season. It doesn't get better than this. If you're slow right now in real estate for the next two months, then you're doing something wrong because this is what we live for. From now through June, at least, is when listings are just coming on like fire and every week that goes by more will hit and get busy and love it. Make some hay while the sun's shining. There you have it. Couldn't agree more. And if I know you, look for uh, an invite to a nice pool party for uh, some of my real estate friends coming to a house near you. So Nice. All right. Well, this wraps up episode 81. I think it was a good one. I'll see everybody there in listener land uh, on the next one as will uh, my co-host, Mr. Steve Nassar. See you guys. (laughs) 
Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Bye.